So here's a fun little tin, tidbit from my personal journey as a United Methodist clergy person. I have what's known as dual, D-U-A-L, status taxation. What that means essentially is that I'm considered an employee by the IRS for federal income tax purposes and therefore receive a W-2 at the end of the year. But I'm considered self-employed for social security tax because I'm not technically an employee of a church as a United Methodist clergy person, I'm appointed by a bishop. Therefore, I make quarterly estimated tax payments every year, every April 15th and June 15th and September 15th and January 15th. Each quarter, I send a tax check to the IRS. And when I was 23 years of age, serving the church for the very first time and very uncertain about all of these matters and wanting to make certain that I would get it right, I made an appointment with a local CPA simply for some guidance. And after going through all of the complexities of it, this CPA who had a bit of a cynical edge to him looked across at me or looked across his desk at me and said to me, preacher, which is often what people in North Carolina will call the clergy person, Preacher, whatever you do, don't mess with the IRS. Because, he added, this country comes down harder on tax fraud or tax evasion than it does on murder. And I remember thinking, well, that sounds a little bit exaggerated, but it was enough to scare the living daylights out of me, quite frankly. And I've had a sense of really uncomfortable urgency about taxes ever since. Arthur Vanderbilt once put it this way, taxes are the government's lifeblood and no taxpayer should ever be permitted to escape the burden of contributing thereto. No taxpayer should ever be permitted to escape the burden of contributing thereto. <sighs> taxes. The situation in this morning's scripture from Matthew is this, a group of religious leaders zealous to incriminate Jesus by getting him to say something for which he would either be rejected by the Jewish people or arrested by the Roman government, ask Jesus a question about your favorite subject and mine, paying taxes. And keep in mind that this conversation takes place during an era in which the Jewish people lived under the considerable weight of a Roman system of taxation that was often corrupt, often oppressive, a system of taxation that would force the Jewish people to contribute a substantial amount of their income to an empire, the very existence of which, the very rule of which, was a daily assault to their theological sensibilities. That's the backdrop. And it's important to understand that backdrop if we're going to appreciate the nuances of this strange little conversation between Jesus and the re religious leaders about taxes, of all things. And so these religious leaders say to Jesus, Teacher, is it lawful for people of Jewish faith to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? 
spontaneous tax court situation, right, with Jesus on the stand and a group of people, can't you imagine it, taking a step forward to listen a bit more attentively, eager to scrutinize Jesus' response, eager to play the role of judge. And so Jesus in that moment asked for a coin, and I've always wondered about that. Maybe it's an indication that Jesus did not have a coin on him, which is a compelling detail. But he asked for a Roman coin, and he points out to people that on that coin is the face of the emperor, the face of Caesar, imprinted. He points that out. And then Jesus, aware of the malice of the people who were asking him the question, responds in this way, succinctly and meaningfully. Listen to his response. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Give to God the things that are God's. And then we're told, very specifically, I think, that the people who are within earshot, the people who asked the question, and the people who uh, were listening nearby, were told very specifically that they were amazed. That's the language of Scripture. The people were amazed, so much so that they turn away from Jesus and walk away. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Give to God the things that are God's. Upon first hearing, it sounds pretty tidy, doesn't it? Jesus must surely be referring to two well-organized compartments. This is your citizen compartment over here. This is your faith compartment over here. This citizen compartment represents your obligation to the government, to the empire. This faith compartment represents your commitment to God. Problem solved? Next question. But linger with me a little bit longer than that, at least long enough to explore the nuances, the deeper layers of Jesus' response, because I believe that they're there, and I believe it's in those deeper nuances that the meaning of this scripture, the impact of this scripture, is to be found. And I feel strongly about that because if in his response Jesus were only reinforcing the existing compartments, there would have been nothing in his response that would have generated amazement among the people. And it's very clear in Scripture that the people were amazed by Jesus' response, which begs the question, what was so amazing about it? What in the world was so amazing about Jesus' response? Well, maybe some of the amazement had to do with the fact that the formulators of the question understood something. And they understood that the question was specifically designed to pull Jesus into a conceptual no-win scenario. Kubiashi Maru, for those of you who are Star Trek fans, a no-win scenario. Think about that for a moment. If Jesus would have responded to the question, well, absolutely, of course, pay your taxes, that's the law. Well, then he would have run the risk of alienating a substantial portion of the Jewish community that would have expected much more from Jesus than a kowtowing to the Roman Empire. And likewise, if Jesus had responded to the question, well, No, absolutely not. In fact, don't give one cent to that wretched empire. He would have immediately been charged with sedition and arrested. And so Jesus offers neither of those responses. Instead, he offers this response that expands the landscape of the question and invites the people who are within earshot to shift their focus from taxation to theological truth. 
from the emperor and tax laws to God's expansive divine agency. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. And in order to help you to appreciate the possible nuances of that response, allow me to ask this question. What ultimately belongs to any emperor? In the sense of lasting ownership, what ultimately belongs to any emperor? In a word, nothing. Nothing. I say that because every emperor, every ruler, every prime minister, every president, every queen, every king holds authority for a season, power for a season, but ultimately, and you know this as well as I do, every emperor ultimately returns to dust. And following the emperor into the dust are all of that emperor's illusions of power and control. So, ultimately, in the sense of lasting ownership, what belongs to any emperor? Nothing. And I believe that's part of the point that Jesus is making. By contrast, what ultimately belongs to God? In a word, everything. Our coins and our contributions. Our accumulated resources and our well-developed skill sets. Our deepest allegiances and our very lives. In fact, if we're to trust the biblical narrative, Everything we have and everything we are is looked upon rightly only when it is seen as being under the proprietorship of the one about whom the psalmist writes this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And with that kind of theological worldview, with that kind of theological understanding, what monarch, what emperor would ever dare to claim rightful, lasting ownership over anything, including our taxes. When, in fact, every breath that's breathed by the emperor is breathed purely by the grace of the creator. Now, with that sort of theology in mind, listen to Jesus' response again. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? Well, give to the emperor the things that are the emperor's. Give to God the things that are God's. And any Roman official within earshot might have muttered to himself, well, at least, Je- at least Jesus didn't tell people not to pay taxes. And likewise, any person of faith within earshot would have heard in Jesus' nuanced response a reminder of the truth that ultimately, ultimately, nothing belongs to the empire and everything belongs to God. My goodness. So what do we find in this deeper than we may have thought little conversation in scripture? What do we find here? Maybe we find many things. We certainly find a Jesus who has the wherewithal to avoid being drawn into a conceptual trap while also inviting people into deeper stories, deeper thinking, deeper narratives. We find that. But I think we might also find this reminder that Every tax that we pay, every vote that we cast, every allegiance that we pledge to a particular flag 
is ultimately, ultimately an act of God-given conscience and not the property of any empire. That even the taxes that we pay are ultimately God's property before they are ever absorbed into the machinery of empire. But maybe most of all, in this strange little conversation, we glimpse this new reality that Jesus is inaugurating, this kingdom in which the reign of God in a human life defines that life far more substantially and far more beautifully than any empire ever could. No wonder the people walked away amazed. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the theologian Miroslav Volf, but when reflecting upon this very scripture from Matthew's Gospel, Miroslav Volf wrote this, Never give to the emperor what belongs to God. Never give to the emperor, for example, he continued, glory. Your ultimate trust. Your full allegiance. And especially, Wolf concluded, especially resist the temptation to give to the emperor a blind promise for which you could be held accountable to do what you were told. And if we hear those words in the light of this moment of Scripture, maybe those words remind us that any time we pay a tax, any time we cast a vote, we do that not because of an emperor's ownership over us, rather we do it as an act of respect for an empire that itself ultimately belongs to God. After all, the image of the emperor is on the currency might be on the voting booth, but upon our lives is the sacred image of God. And that's something different. That's something different. And so maybe I'm simply inviting you, as we continue to reflect upon this moment in Scripture, maybe I'm simply inviting you to join me in the ongoing stewardship of figuring out what it means to give to God the things that are God's. And if it is indeed true that ultimately everything belongs to God, then maybe what I'm really inviting us to do together is to continue in the stewardship of figuring out what it means to give more and more and more of our lives to this relentlessly good God of ours. So that every portion of our living becomes a doxology, a song of praise. And so that even the mundane task of paying a tax becomes an enacted prayer. All for the sake of Jesus, in whose name we gather, and in whose name I gratefully preach. Amen.